And now we find ourselves on November 18th, even closer to the end of the year, and one more rotation down before the solstice. There are also seven days until American Thanksgiving, and I'm grateful that you've turned in for another edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a program intended to describe the story so far. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, the overall health of the James River has dropped slightly. Area transportation officials want your input tonight on the region's transit future. An update on planning for the fifth round of the Virginia Department of Transportation's Smart Scale funding process. And the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority prepares its annual plan for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Let's begin with a Patreon-fueled shout-out. Colder temperatures are creeping in, and now is the perfect time to think about keeping your family warm through the holidays. Make sure you are getting the most out of your home with help from your local energy nonprofit, LEAP. LEAP wants you and yours to keep comfortable all year round and offers free home weatherization to income and age qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. While the number of vaccinated Virginians has increased due to the extension of shots into people between the ages of 5 and 11, the number of new cases has been up slightly over the past two days. However, the Virginia Department of Health reports that Wednesday's figure of 2,592 new cases was a technical error that included counts from previous days. The seven-day average is now at 1,475 a day, and the percent positivity is at 5.5% today. The Blue Ridge Health District reports another 49 new cases today, and the fatality count is at 309. Do you have something to say about how our area bus systems should work? Tonight, you'll have your chance to weigh in on a regional transit vision that could guide the future of transit in the area. Lucinda Shannon is a transportation planner with the Thomas Jefferson Planning District, who briefed a technical committee of the Metropolitan Planning Organization on Tuesday. I'm really hoping that you guys will all sign up um, for the public meeting, which is on Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. There's also surveys on both of the, tra the um, TJPDC transit projects. The TJPDC is also conducting a separate study of the expansion of transit in Albemarle County. Changes to the Charlottesville area transit system have been studied and presented to the public this year, but there is no schedule for when they may go into effect as there are more procedural steps to go through. This week, the Norfolk City Council adopted a resolution approving a plan called Multimodal Norfolk that seeks to increase frequency of some buses. Here's a part of the resolution that was adopted on Tuesday night. The recommended network focuses 70% of resources on service that will maximize access to opportunity for most residents and are likely to get high ridership relative to cost. The other 30% of resources are focused on service that is not likely to get high ridership, but will provide service in areas where there is relatively high need. 
Service in Norfolk is provided by Hampton Roads Transit, which that city pays about $20 million a year to operate service. That includes the Tide light rail system. Meanwhile, work continues to prepare the next round of applications for the Virginia Department of Transportation's smart-scale funding process. Chuck Proctor is a planner with VDOT's Culpeper District, and he's assisting Albemarle and the MPO to come up with potential submissions. Most of them are bike ped related, a lot of them multimodal projects, Avon Street, Fifth Street, like I said, the 29-250 bypass. Other projects that could be submitted include the intersection of Old Trail and Crozet Avenue, a recommendation from the ongoing North 29 Corridor study, projects and pantops, as well as various intersections of US 250 East of pantops. The Thomas Jefferson Planning District can submit up to four applications on behalf of area localities. Proctor said he was not aware of what applications the city of Charlottesville might advance. Jeanette Janacek is the city's urban construction initiative manager. In most cases, Charlottesville administers its own projects without involvement from VDOT. However, they do take the funding. Just want to remind everyone this is still early in the process. We have a new city council coming online. The city does plan to apply for smart scale, but we haven't yet decided which projects. In four rounds, Charlottesville has been awarded millions for various streetscape projects, none of which has yet gone to construction. In September, council indicated they would no longer support contributing a local match for funds received for the first two phases of West Main. VDOT has not yet been formally informed of any decision about that, according to spokesman Lou Hatter. Janacek said potential Charlottesville projects for round five are a fourth phase of West Main streetscape, East High Street, Rose Hill, and the Preston Avenue corridor. There was no information about any of these projects available on the city website. In contrast, Albemarle and the TJPDC have been discussing potential projects since the spring. In recent years, Albemarle County has increased its capacity to design and build non-vehicular transportation projects. Kevin McDermott is a chief of planning. We are now finally, after many years, in in the construction phase for a lot of uh, sidewalk improvements, including um, new sidewalks out on Avon Street Extended, uh, both north and south of the Mill Creek intersection. The others are a new sidewalk along US 250 near the Harris Teeter, including a pedestrian crossing, a new sidewalk along Rio Road East from John Warner Parkway heading east and south toward Charlottesville a new crosswalk at Mountain View Elementary School on Avon Street Extended, a new sidewalk and shared use path on Lambs Road between Hydraulic Road and the Lambs Lane Campus, and a new sidewalk on Ivy Road between the city limits and the UVA Musculoskeletal Center. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the use of focused ultrasound to treat patients with Parkinson's disease, that's according to a release from the University of Virginia Health System. Specifically, medical device regulators have authorized medical centers to use something called Exablate Neuro by the company Insitec to treat mobility problems associated with tremors caused by Parkinson's. Here's a bit from that release. Prior to the approval, available treatments for the Parkinson's symptoms included drugs, which not all patients respond to, and invasive deep brain surgeries. Focused ultrasound, in comparison, does not require incisions or cutting into the skull. 
During procedures, highly focused sound waves are used to target faulty brain cells, and used together with magnetic resonance imaging, treatment can help ease symptoms. The release stresses that this is not a cure. The medical technology has been pioneered at UVA and shepherded by the Focused Ultrasound Foundation. Other potential uses include treatment for essential tremors, uterine fibroids, and some forms of cancer. Research is ongoing. For more information, visit the UVA Health website or watch some videos on the Focused Ultrasound Foundation's YouTube page. Water quality in the James River has declined slightly over the past two years, according to a report card issued this week by an advocacy group that seeks to promote practices to reduce pollution. Since 2007, the James River Association has issued the State of the James Report, and this year's B- is based on a score of 61%. Every two years, that score is factored by looking at 18 indicators split across two categories, and those are River Health and River Restoration Project. In 2017, the grade was 63%. Here's a bit from the press release. The decline that has occurred since 2017 reflects the impact of abnormally high rainfall experienced across the watershed in recent years, causing increased polluted runoff throughout the James. While oysters and tidal water quality showed promising resilience over the past year by bouncing back from the surge of rainwater and pollution, the river also revealed stalled progress in phosphorus, nitrogen, and sediment pollution reductions, as well as stream health. Among the indicators are gauges of how healthy various wildlife populations are. The good news is that the bald eagle scores at 100% due to an increase in breeding pairs to 352, indicating that the resurgence is due in part to the ban on DDT as well as passage of the Endangered Species Act in 1973. The bad news is that American shad are rated at zero, and efforts to stock the James River watershed with hatchery shad have not worked because of the presence of dams, water intakes for water supply, invasive catfish, and fishing nets intended for other species. To look through all of the indicators, visit the State of the James website and explore their story map. What are you most interested in? Let me know in the comments. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's now time for a second Patreon-fueled shout-out. Here comes Lonnie Murray, and he wants to tell you that the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign is an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. The leaves have started to fall and have fallen for the most part, and this is a good time to begin planning for the spring. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page. There's a link in the newsletter. One more segment today, the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority's Board of Commissioners will hold a closed meeting later on today to discuss a personnel matter. Last week, the appointed body held a work session on a report the CRHA must turn in to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Kathleen Glenn Matthews is the Deputy Director of the CRHA. 
Public Housing um, Authority PHA plan is um, a pretty comprehensive guide to all of our agencies' policies and programs. And um, it also focuses on um, really, we spend a lot of time on our goals. There are two parts to the plan, one of which is a five-year review that won't be due until 2023. The second part is an annual document that details what will happen in the next fiscal year. The fiscal year for the CRHA runs from April 1st to March 30th. That's a different calendar than the city, state, and federal government. HUD classifies CRHA as a troubled agency based on the Public Housing Assessment System and the Section 8 Management Assessment Program. Glenn Matthews said that means CRHA has to give more information in its annual plan. One of the first items in the draft plan is a listing of the number of public housing units and the number of housing choice vouchers. The number of units has dropped from 376 to 324, due in part to the temporary closure of Crescent Halls due to the ongoing renovation. The number of housing vouchers has increased due to their use to provide temporary places for temporarily displaced residents. Those vouchers are separate from a program funded directly by the City of Charlottesville to increase the number of vouchers. The city has had a line item of $900,000 a year in the capital budget for this supplemental program. Highlights from the past year include the adoption of policies on security cameras as well as deconcentration of poverty. Here's a statement from the plan. The PHA's admission policy is designed to provide for deconcentration of poverty and income mixing by bringing higher income tenants into lower income communities and lower income tenants into higher income communities. Glenn Matthews said the CRHA wants to build a home ownership program as well as augment the family self-sufficiency program. Um, we don't have funding for it and we're penalized by being troubled but we are looking at alternative sources for that, and it's definitely um, a big priority for us. The draft plan indicates that the CRHA will continue to engage in mixed finance modernization or development, as well as demolition and or disposition in the coming year. One project in development is at 6th Street Southeast with a potential between 39 and 50 units. There is also a pending demolition and disposition application for the second phase of South 1st Street, which would see the removal of 58 existing units in favor of a higher density project. Planning for redevelopment of West Haven is expected to begin in the next fiscal year. We want to make sure everything in this plan is there that we wanna do this year, because if not, we have to do an amendment and nobody wants to go through that process. So I really encourage that. The plan also explains how nonprofit companies have been formed to serve to secure funding for redevelopment. There's also data on who lives in the units. As of August 31st, 76% of households had incomes below 30% of the area median income, 14% are between 30 and 50%, and 3% are between 50 and 80%. 6% of households did not have their income data available for the report that's included in the plan. Only 1% of residents are classified as Hispanic or Latino, 3% are classified as Asian, 21% are white, and 75% are black. There are a total of 736 people living in Charlottesville public housing, and the average household size is 2.6%. 
The public hearing on the annual plan will be held on Monday, December 20th. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And we, I'm going to go ahead and end this one with a limerick, which kind of celebrates the check that I just got today from Ting. As you may or may not know, if you subscribe through Substack, either at $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year, Ting will match your initial payment. And uh, from my friend Harry Landers, he came up with this limerick. There once was a writer from Seville who sought to shine light upon evil. He did his own thing with some help from Ting. If there's news to report, we know he will. I tried to get him to record that, but he wouldn't do it, but oh well. If you have something you would like to submit to this tail end section of the podcast, please let me know. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I'll be back in the near future with another installment of the show. There's still so much to get through before the end of this year, and that's what I'm here for. And thank you to everybody who supports, whether it's a payment, a poem, or just moral support, or sending it on to somebody else. That's the best thing you can do to uh, get this information out to as many people as possible. Thanks again enjoy the warmth relative warmth out there today and uh you know thank you once again have a great day